Uh, welcome back to another Ag Watchers. Uh, we've got a special guest today, uh, John Dropert, who is the Insights and Analysis Manager for Dairy Australia. Uh, he's going to give us a bit of an insight into what is happening in the dairy industry uh, this year. Um, it's an area that we don't tend to cover in, in a huge amount of detail, uh, Matt and myself, so we thought we'd get Australia's resident expert in dairy. Jono, how's it going? Yeah, not bad, thanks guys, and, uh, and, and thanks for indulging me in a bit of dairy commentary, uh, despite it not being uh, all that interesting to you most of the time. No, it is, it is interesting. I guess one of the things that we find is it's a hard industry to look at unless you're really involved in it. And, and we, we've been quite involved in it in terms of from the, either the grain side of it in, in, in supplying into dairies or getting rid of uh, the actual waste product or the, the sort of the, uh, the, the, the leftover cows and whatever they're called. But it's, but it's interesting because you sort of get this discussion with farmers in that you can talk to one farmer and we, we had this discussion at the Australian uh, Ruminant Nutritionist Society and there was some people there who were saying, oh, dairy's terrible, dairy's, dairy's finished and then you get other ones saying, this is fantastic, what a year we're having. So I thought it would be good to get a bit of an insight into you and how it's how it's actually going on the ground. So, so how, is, how is the season going at the moment? Yeah, I mean, seasonally, um, it's, it's probably reflected in other industries as well. I mean, things are fantastic in most areas and especially by the standards of, of the last few years. We've got, you know, the, the, the grass has been leaping out of the ground. It's, you know, it's, there's been plenty of rainfall, um, in, you know, probably in places like South Gippsland and, and so forth, too much rainfall and that's been the problem, you know, pasture qualities. Um, got away from people, and as you said at the start, I mean, dairy is a—it's a complex industry at probably every level of the supply chain. It's—it's it's, and it's a very idiosyncratic industry. Um, so, you know, you—you you have people who who haven't grown up on a farm or haven't had the experience, um, and you try and explain, you know, at this point, more rain's good, more rain's good, more rain's good, and then a couple of weeks later, what the hell are you saying? All this rain's good for? There's too much rain. Stop, you know, stop talking that up. People are going to get annoyed. So, um, but but seasonally, I think things are things are going really well. Um, what we're not seeing uh, probably post October is that reflected in milk production, and we've seen milk production really start to um, start to sag. I think still uh, at or or slightly above year ago levels, but. Um, you know, we're, we're in the process of uh, a recovery from a fairly challenging few years. And, and part of that is that people um, are taking the opportunity to exit as well. So I think farm exits are, um, are up there at the moment. So, so, so seasonally positive, I think in, in profitability terms, most farmers are doing pretty well. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of the whole industry and, and, and that kind of growth picture, um, I, I think we're going through a bit of a shakeout um, as you know, as as people kind of make the longer term decisions that they've now got some latitude to make. And so, so are we seeing a bit of a reduction? Like, what what is the reduction like at the moment for for dairy farmers? Like, what what sort of levels are we seeing? And and what's the big driver of that move? Is it profitability or is it lifestyle or? I mean, every 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 farm's different to, to the cliche, and every every person's different. I think profitability this year. I mean, if if you know that 
this this would have to be one of the better years for profitability in this year. But um, of course, people have memories, and, and the last few years, um, particularly from 2016 onwards, um, there's been some real challenging profitability years. So I think a lot of people probably fell into a massive hole with the, the milk price step downs a few years ago, and then um, and then you know drought for a lot of regions. And, and this this year and last year, they've probably dug themselves out of that hole, and they're at the point where they're thinking. You know, I haven't got another 10 or 15 years to fall into the next hole and dig myself out of it again. Um, I've had enough and, and the numbers stack up. So, um, you know, I think we're seeing people pull the pin. And there's also the labour issue, which is completely, um, well, not completely separate, but largely separate, um, amplified by COVID and backpackers not being uh, around anymore. Um, and so, you've, you know, you've got people who've, who've had that financial trauma and, uh, and now they're having to do 14 milkings a week as well because uh, they just can't get anyone to do it for, for love or money. So, well, you know, that, that helps people pull the trigger as well. And, uh, and, and there's, some, there's some interest in, in the land. You know, you think about places like Southwest Victoria, um, you know, beef farmers from New South Wales or sheep farmers coming in, uh, making some pretty eye-watering offers for land in, in in some instances, everyone knows one. Everyone knows someone who's had a good offer for land and walked out the next week or the next month. And uh, but, it, uh, you know. but there's a lot of there's a lot of obviously those cattle buyers coming down and, and buying that land. But is it a? I know there's a lot of milk farmers who you say don't have another 10 years in it or 15 years in, in dairy. And dairy is, you know, one of the hardest industries in terms of its <laughs> the amount of time you've got to spend on farm compared to other industries. Uh, but is, is there a move with some farmers to 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 change their enterprise from from dairy to cattle, or is it just selling out to other cattle farmers that we're seeing at the moment? Yeah, I don't think it's just property transactions. I mean, you do have you know people, especially on the on the smaller farms, that um, yeah, that will either transition over time, and we've we've seen that over the past uh, the, the past few years, people transitioning from dairy to dairy beef to to beef, um, or you know you have people just. Send the uh, send the dairy cows up the road, and then uh, they might cut hay for a year or two, and then uh, and then end up you know bringing on some beef cows or, or even, you know sheep if they're into that sort of thing. But um, yeah, we, we see people transitioning on their own properties as well. It's probably the high the high profile sales that um, that get more attention. John, um, would you have uh, would you have an idea of rough con numbers, even in terms of maybe percentages or something? In, you know, how many people are, are exiting out? Because um, the reason I'm asking is in, we've seen this stubborn female slaughter ratio uh, not come off this season, despite there's a lot of restocking out there, um, and and it's been particularly high in Victoria actually as well. And then Victoria normally has a higher number than the northern states. Um, you know, generally speaking, because our system's different in terms of our production system, you know, you don't need to hold as many um, breeding stock as, as, say, you know, further north in pastoral Queensland. But even with that, it's still very high. And I'm just wondering now, is part of the reason that it's so stubbornly high because we are seeing big numbers of, of, of movement out of dairy or is it just, uh, you know, on the on the fringe, this this kind of people are deciding to go? I think it's 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 significant. Um, you know, I don't think we're seeing the whole industry pack up and turn out the lights. So I mean, there's there's sort of a number, a, a preliminary number that we've put in the last SNO report, and it's it's getting a bit of media traction at the moment. Um, that I think 11% of of Victorian dairy farmers didn't renew their licences in the um, you know for the for the for the coming or well, the current financial year. Um, that's that's a preliminary number. Some people you know just slow and don't get round to it. But um, I think. 
fair to say there's there's something in that in that order of magnitude of um, of licenses not being renewed. And um, the average, the average we see, you know, the long-term average, it's never average, we're either one extreme or the other, but the long-term average is about 4% of farms will exit in a given year. So, so 11%, you know, even if it's eight or nine, it's still, um, it's, it's a big year for people to pull the pin. And I think, um, you know, that, that combined with the prices is, is probably contributing to what you're seeing in, uh, in terms of increased um, slaughter numbers. And I, you know, there's, there's also the interaction between, um, you know, the export heifer prices and the, and the cull prices too. You know, if, if you, um, if you can keep your younger stock and improve your herd and, and sell more culls instead, um, you know, that, that, that could be something that people do while, while still, you know, continuing to build, just, um, mm. you know, pushing the herd younger, I guess, getting that, incre- that better genetics through sooner. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's, yeah, it's good. All right, fair enough. No, and that's a, that's a high number. So I have to run. I'll do some own number crunching when I get off this to to see um, what that means. Yeah, you know, if you got effectively more than double the normal kind of you know movement out of the industry, what that could mean for for numbers, and that that could explain some of it definitely. There's probably also um, you know, from wrong. There's these these fairly solid beef prices have been around for a, a little while now. I think there's probably more retention too of, of calves. Um, you know, since seasons have turned, at least um, that there might be more stock being retained for that purpose too. So, um, yeah, I think I think a bit of a, a bit of everything, but certainly not trying to play down the exits. I think that's, uh, that, that's mm. something we're seeing in all from all angles this year. Mm. In terms of, of like you, you mentioned sort of briefly, that dairy prices are, are pretty good, and if we look. Overseas, we can see that you know dairy prices, like dairy futures, are looking pretty strong. What what's the what's the prices been like locally here in, in Australia? So farm gate prices um, have come off from from the previous season. You know, we're at a, a sort of a seven dollar um, headline number in, in southern regions at seven dollar kilo milk solids. You know, we're we're around six dollars forty the equivalent this season. So there has been a uh, a, a drop in in prices, but that even even when you work back from commodity values, um, our our opinion is, and, and you know we're not the only ones saying it, but um, there's still certainly a competition premium there. So so because the milk pool is pretty short at the moment, you're seeing competition for milk to to fill contracts and to you know retain market share um, amongst processors. So commodity prices are fairly are fairly flat, and we certainly you know if you look at the price chart. For 2020, you probably wouldn't pick a point where there was a global pandemic, um, you know, unleashed upon the industry um, or the world, uh, which has been good. I mean, we've 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 been talking about dark clouds on the horizon, but there's the sort of dark clouds that have sort of seemed to pass just south or just north of you so far. So, um, you know, the, the industry is kind of you know ducking and weaving there at the moment. Um, competition for milk and and the new mandatory code have meant that prices were front loaded early in the season at the farm gate. Processors effectively have taken on a lot of that price risk where farmers traditionally have had to wear it, and um, and and so it's probably likely that uh, that the farm gate prices will stay fairly flat, you know, through to the end of the season. And um, you know, hopefully, we're not going to see some. Um, you know, really um, built up market signal that suddenly gets delivered in, in you know in June for next season. That's the uh, the downside of this. We 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 
remove the risk from Farmgate, but we also uh, remove the market signal as well. And it's, it's sort of going to be concentrated in, in, in one or two days of the year. What about that? That sort of you, you mentioned that, but the pandemic, and obviously that's the uh, been the big thing of this year, or one of the big things. How? Why wasn't there a major impact on on dairy? Like, what, why? Why have dairy prices sort of maintained themselves? Yes, yeah, so a couple of reasons. I think. I mean, globally, globally there was a bigger impact than what we had here in Australia. Um, we were fortunate in the sense again that we had a milk pool that was. Sort of short of milk to start with. Um, we had, we were in the off season or, you know, in the, in the shoulder season as well. So if you looked at Northern, um, North America and Europe, they were in the, approaching their spring peak when the lockdowns happened. And, and that's where we saw images of milk being dumped and, uh, um, you know, forced production cuts, uh, from cooperatives back to farmers. Um, here we were in the shoulder season anyway. So it was, uh, there was much less pressure at that time of year. And that gave, I think, the supply chain time to adjust. So, so food service obviously got smashed. And, and, you know, I think about give or take a third of our milk goes through food service here in Australia, which is, which is again less than the US, um, more like 50% over there. So there was a huge adjustment. You know, those businesses that supplied cafes, that supplied, you know, artisan cheeses or something for, again, for food service, um, really had to adjust quickly. But the, the, the supply chain actually managed to sort of sort that out before that sort of blew back onto the farm gate. And um, yeah, I think a combination of, of circumstance and, um, and and good management there. The other thing that's probably globally kept commodity prices strong is has been government spending. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen sort of government wage support, government business support, um, you know, food boxes in the US, JobKeeper here. Uh, we've, we've had the taxpayer helping to smooth commodity markets out across the board, not just dairy. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, if we're all sort of looking at it, honestly, I think that's been a big part of it too. And, and one of the big risks that we've been worried about across this year has been when that government support gets wound back, what's going to happen then? Mm. Mm. You mentioned, John, um, the dark cloud of COVID and, and the fact that you know, dairy is one of those industries. And there's been a few in ag that have managed to, to kind of sail through reasonably um, well through the COVID um, situation, uh, particularly in ag space. But the other dark cloud, I guess, um, and given the amount of dairy exports that goes to China, is that um, is this you know the issue around trade tensions we've seen hit a few commodities. Um, what's what's the view internally uh, within the dairy kind of sector? Are there are there concerns that um, that dairy could become a target into an ongoing kind of trade? issue into next season or is it something that you're reasonably comfortable that you're, you're untouchable or you know what's the what's the feeling there in that space yeah i, I wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't be brave enough to say we're untouchable um and you know we 45 percent of our dairy exports you know by value went to china last year so um you know china is a is a significant destination for our dairy product and and there's a reason they go there it's because you know that's been a, a, a well returning market that's valued our product enough to pay for it um over the years so so i think there's certainly um concern there um there you know that you can sort of hypothesize about where dairy and particular infant formula because our, our exports are very heavily weighted towards infant formula uh where infant formula fits in the kind of life cycle of your average consumer versus something like wine. Um, you know, the price of wine goes up versus the price of baby formula goes up and availability, that sort of thing. You know, it's 
you could argue that there's some easier targets than others if, if, if you know, the Chinese government wants to send a message. Um, but I think, you know, that the risks are, the risks are very real. There's, um, you know, there's certainly no headline um, measures that we've seen at the moment. Um, you know, we, we do have a very good relationship with the Chinese industry on a business to business um, level. And we've, you know, we've got ties there that have kind of been invested in over many years. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've, you've got to put yourself in a, in, in, you know, the average Chinese importer or, or business development person's shoes and think, if I've got an opportunity to expand my business or to grow my business or protect risk from my business and I need to buy some dairy product, what's going to cause me the least amount of potential headaches in the future? And uh, um, as an origin, Australia's, you know, obviously looking a bit more risky from their point of view too now. So, um, you know, we've, we've got to keep that in mind. I think even if we don't see outright measures, um, we could well, um, you know, we're kind of going to be out of favour uh, for, for those indirect reasons. And, and so I think that's something that's, that's going to be top of mind. Um, so what, what do you reckon? 50-50 chance of Chinese action? Uh, you, know, you, can, you, you can bet on uh, what they're going to do. I, I've got no idea, to be honest, whether, they, uh, whether they're happy with what they've done so far or whether they, uh, they need to send a bigger message in the new year. I mean, we do, we do understand that there is some stock building going on. You know, so that could conceivably lead to a either a, it could be used to support strangling the market a bit, or it could be uh, used as an excuse to strangle the market a bit. Um, you know, I think there's I think there's some real challenges there. It's just going to be yeah, whether they drop in one in one sort of hammer blow, or whether it's um, you know just over time. And it's fair to say too, I should. Point out, you know, that market has been getting more and more difficult to do business in over the years before this happened, um, particularly input formula, because for a while there it was a free for all and you had, you know, every cowboy with a canning plant and some white stuff, you know, put it in tins and send it to China and thinking they were going to make a fortune there. And I think, you know, the, the Chinese government got jack of that. So, you know, selling input formula into China has never been easy in recent years. And, um, yeah, I think if you're, if you're, an Australian brand on your product, um, it's probably it's probably going to get a bit harder before it does get easier. Who's our from a? Um, you mentioned that last season um, about forty five percent of our total dairy exports went to China. So from but from a Chinese perspective, so that that's a big obviously a big part of our segment for for Australian producers. But from a Chinese perspective, who are our big kind of competitors that are also sending? you know, big amounts of dairy into China. Uh, would it be New Zealand as, as a key one or are they like the US and Europe? Are they, how, how do they fit in? Yeah, so New Zealand, you know, New Zealand is huge into China and, um, you know, as, as you'd expect, um, Europe, Europe's the other one and, um, and, and sort of to take the infant formula numbers, so sort of apples and apples, apples and oranges are 45%, but um, of China's infant formula imports, I think Europe supplies about 70% of them. And, um, you know, Australia and New Zealand kind of split the remaining 15, well, the remaining 30% roughly evenly. So, um, you know, they don't, they don't kind of need us, um, from that perspective. Um, but we do compete against Europe. We compete against New Zealand. And, um, and the more recent one that, you know, that I, I know you guys have covered in other commodities too is, you know, the US and their phase one deal with, with China. Um, certainly pressure on or you know incentive i guess to um to sell more u.s products in china and so um, that's uh that's leading to increased presence particularly in, in categories like whey whey powders and, and dairy ingredients mm. that, 
they do a reasonable job of. Yeah, that was one of the ones, Aaron, I looked at actually when we presented to um, AARN at Australian Association of Marine and Nutritionists uh, earlier in the year, looking at that phase one deal. And we were just you know, basically, basically taking a look at, at those commodities that, that the US don't necessarily have a big foothold, but could kind of um, you know, break into that Chinese market. And, and their dairy was one of those spaces we thought there was an opportunity for if, if China wanted to divert um, you know, or, you know, divert their attention towards the US as part of this trade deal. Where could they, where could they target that, that would hurt us? And and so we thought dairy might be at risk, but um, luckily for the sector, it hasn't really been uh, impacted yet. But um, our view is it's still that it's a reasonable risk factor there. And um, and what you're saying there kind of still makes me think the same. Andrew, what do you reckon? Yeah, I still think it's a big risk, and I think the the deteriorating sort of relationship between the two countries does continue to put dairy at risk. Uh, my biggest surprise is actually not necessarily dairy, that they haven't targeted that, but probably almonds. In that we did see that big change to almonds <clears throat> when the trade war between the US and China was on. And then, so they switched to Australian origin and they could quite easily switch to Californian origin overnight and then decimate the almond industry. However, it probably doesn't really have the same political clout because, you know, there's a lot of anti-almond sentiment out there in Australia. So what benefit would it have from a political point of view? But from a phase one point of view, if that continues, which it looks like it will do, then I wouldn't be surprised to see almonds targeted in 2021. But also... <laughs> All commodities, really. Uh, are, are almonds a subset of the dairy sector in, in the fact that they make milk as well, Andrew? Or? I'm not sure. Well, Ask <laughs> John that. Like, I think I'm pretty sure I heard that they, they, they do stock almond milk in the Dairy Australia office. Do they? Oh, gosh. Don't worry. We, we make lists of those people and we work on them over time. But, um, yeah, we, um, you know, almonds, almonds and, and whatever you make out of them, I wouldn't call it milk, but um, they, uh, you know, they're much more substitutable. I mean, an almond's an almond, right? Um, you know, the US doesn't seem to have a very strong presence in, in, in retail-ready infant formula that you'd, you'd feed someone you want to live. So, uh, you know, I think um, it's, it's much harder to make that direct swap. Um, you know, the US have put millions and millions and millions of dollars into, into export marketing. Um, you know, Tom Bilsack, who's, who's looking likely to be the, the next Ag Secretary and who was the last Ag Secretary, he, he's been heading up the, um, the US Dairy Export Council on, on, I think, a million bucks a year or something for the last few years, keeping his, keeping his toes warm. That was a new, new um, job for you, John. Well, it looks you sign me up. Take yeah. over. Just give me a gun and a passport. <laughs> I, I, suppose, and I suppose that's the thing. That would be a, that would be a pay cut from Dairy Australia, though. <laughs> well, yeah. might, you might not have a $20,000 coffee machine. I've, uh, I've got a I've got a twenty dollar coffee machine here for on a bad day the international roast but um, yeah yeah million bucks a year sign me up give me a gun and a passport and I'll be over there uh, yep. I'll, I'll sell anything and a vaccine and a vaccine yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to go back on to circle back a little bit onto that production falling and is that a bad thing. Like we've got other industries in Australia where production's fallen. Like wool is is definitely sort of, you know, falling into and falling out of favour, uh, and and obviously that's a potential risk for the overall industry because you need a certain amount of scale. But I would have thought with dairy, you you know, 
a processing plant isn't a cheap piece of infrastructure and you need a certain amount of scale to get there. But when we're seeing farmers dropping out of, of the race, so to speak, is it beneficial for the farmers who, who remain in the longer term? Because it's still going to be, even in, even in Australia, if we lost our export markets over time, there's still going to be domestic demand for fresh milk and, and, and whatnot. But is, is it, is it a meaning for the farmers who stay, is it good or bad that, that the pool is diminishing? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and, and I've actually sort of been thinking about that a lot um, in, the, in the last few weeks. The, you know, you, you, and you've kind of captured a, a lot of how, how I would put it. In, in the, at the overall industry level, it's, it's not great, um, and it's not great because, um, A, you want to be taken seriously, so you want to be taken seriously by the government when they're negotiating trade deals with people. You want to be taken seriously by... Um, by your customers and particularly customers like the Japanese who do look at that every year and they do they do judge our future reliability as a supplier by what's happening with milk production and they ask us when's that going to turn around and what are you doing about it and and, and a lot of things you know they they sort of they hold the government directly responsible given the way they meddle in markets they sort of expect that everyone else does the same so um, you know, from that point of view, it's a challenge. And and, and you talk about crit economies of scale, critical mass. Um, that's pretty important at the farm gate too. So again, you know, dairy is a complex industry. You need, um, well, the same way you need shearers in the wool industry, and that's a that's a real challenge now. You need um, vacuum pump technicians, and you need, you know, all this specialist dairy expertise that um, in in places like New South Wales and, and Queensland, the, the real domestic focus regions where they've had a hollowing out of the industry. Um, you can have some real challenges getting hold of that, um, you know, getting hold of that support you need. So to, to that end, it, it can become a problem. Um, and then it comes, you know, there's, there's also the more nebulous stuff, you know, attracting people to the industry and, um, you know, people, people want to be, naturally want to be part of something that's, uh, that seemed to be growing and seemed to be successful. So a bit of um, potentially a bit of short-term gain, long-term pain type of a thing. Yeah, in the short-term part, I mean, I think this season, we were in a position where we were going to see some strong growth and that would have uh, potentially undermined this competition for milk. Let's put a premium on the price at the farm gate. And so, uh, you know, if, we, if we're being blunt about it, if we've got people who are exiting and, and especially, in, you know, it's easier to be um, a bit more optimistic about it when they're choosing to exit and they're exiting with some money in their pockets rather than, you know, being dragged out on the, on the skin of their sort of pants. That's, that's something you can never sort of be happy about. But if people are choosing to exit and they're, and they're exiting in a good financial position, then for the farmers that remain, that does have some benefits because that keeps the pool tight um, and and that does keep tension on prices. It's, you know, as long as you don't have someone come out and, and shut down a billion litre a year factory and, and tip it back the other way, which which if that pressure gets too high, could happen. But, um, you know, within reasonable bounds, I think a, a little bit of supply pressure is not a bad thing. It's probably the short answer. It's a um, it's a good uh, picture you paint too as a comparison between like the wool sector and the dairy sector. And I know thinking of the wool space um, when you're talking about new entrants in, and certainly when wool prices would would, would record highs a year or so ago, um, it still didn't attract any new entrants. And and the wool the wool area is at one of those traditional spaces where there's a lot of you know guys that are in there, but you know they're still there because they like wool and they enjoy wool and they're traditionalists, but um, their sons are not interested in sheep, right? And they're, they're kind of doing other stuff. Um, or daughters, I should say, that are going to take over the farm. The, the, the children aren't that interested. Is, is the dairy demographic a similar thing? Are, are there 
or are there new entrants coming in that are, that are new to dairy or is it really dominated by these people that are diehard kind of, they love dairy? Cause it's one of those things where you, you're milking, you know, unless you've got a share farmer or, or staff there, you, you know, you are milking twice a day, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's twice a day every day. It's not like you can go and do your harvest and then take a month or two off or whatever and go for a holiday. You, you're kind of there. It's a very, um, it's a very kind of specific agricultural role. Is that the type of thing that is attracting fresh people or is it really dominated by people that have been in dairy for their whole lives and, and you know, the old time is now starting to consider now's the time to get out while the going's good? I think there's a high proportion of existing, you know, existing dairy uh, or people, I guess. Um, there are there are people that want to get in and you'll, you'll always find people that, you know, grew up in the city and this is a dairy farm and sort of it all kind of took hold from there. Um, I think the thing we struggle with, um, yeah, of course, it's a, it's an all-in industry. You can't kind of half do it. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's capital intensive and the, um, the pathways, I think, are not as defined as they used to be too. So we used to have, you know, you start out as a share farmer or, you know, milk or progressive share farmer, increase your share over time, grow a herd of cows out and, and that's your asset base to buy a farm. And now the farms are bigger and, infrastructure is more complex and um, I think that's uh, that's something that you know it certainly came up in the in the dairy plan and it's something that's there's a fair bit of thought being given to is how to get that pathway back on track so that so that you can have someone start from nothing because um, every every farm that exits you know it's, it's often a, a family farm and, and the family have sold it so there's kids not being raised on that farm anymore there's uh, probably the kids that were there were, you know, were given the uh, the experience of the last few years of a business that, um, based on that, they probably don't want to jump into themselves. So, um, so you've got less and less people being exposed to the the good side of it um, or any side of it. And for people that aren't, it's it's very challenging to just show up one day and uh, and hook in. I mean, some people make it work, but as an industry, I think it's something that we. Um, uh, we don't have an established pathway that uh, that is channeling people into that. Should they, you know, should they choose to? Right. Well, yeah. we'll probably we'll probably leave it leave it there. We're sort of coming close to the end of our time. Uh, but thanks, thanks, John, for uh, for giving us an update on on how things are going. It's good to hear, you know, some positivity in the dairy industry after you know years and years of of pretty poor times and. All of the uh, most of the stories you hear about dairy in the media are, you know, sixty minutes and whatnot, and you know, whatever other the, shows. The guy on Struggle Street, they have some farmers. Yeah, or, Street, or, yeah. or Struggle Street or whatnot. Yeah. So now it's good to good to get some some positivity. Uh, so yeah, now thanks for thanks for having us along, and uh, and yeah, if you're on Twitter, you can follow John. I can't remember what your name is on. Oh, it's uh, JD zero zero five four. That's the one. Yeah, complain to complain to me. No complain to HR. I'll put that. Yeah. You haven't thought of you haven't thought of milk watcher. Milk watcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it um, tea watcher or something was uh, floating a while ago? With you guys? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I think it was Steve Ralston. He suggested yeah. tea watcher if you get into uh, into milk. Yeah. Which is probably actually still better than meat watcher. <laughs> <laughs> Right, oh, thanks for coming along. Uh, if you can do us a favor, share it with your friends and family, give us a like, retweet it on social media and whatnot. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Thanks, thanks John.
Cheers, Thanks man. for having me, guys. Thank you.